Thanks, James, for reading for us. Keep your Bible open there at uh, 1 John 5. Let me pray. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Lord, your Spirit caused the Bibles that we've got in our hands to be written. And your word is your own testimony to yourself. Thank you that your spirit is in our hearts. And we pray now that your spirit would enable and help us to listen to what you've got to say to us this evening. That our hearts would be filled with reassurance in Jesus and in your love for us. And uh, Lord, help us to listen and help us to respond with true faith. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'd like to uh, begin by asking you some questions uh, about faith, uh, about your own faith maybe. Uh, how is your faith going? Do you, do you feel that your faith is, uh, is strong or, or do you feel that your faith is weak? Uh, if uh, I was to ask you to mark your faith uh, out of ten, where one is not very good, and 9 and 10 out of 10 is extremely good, what kind of uh, mark would you give yourself for your own faith? Would you kind of like um, uh, mark yourself down near 2 or 3, maybe 1, or maybe a little bit higher, 7? I don't know if anyone amongst us might go for, well, hey, I'm doing right, right, thanks me, I'm, I'm up there with a 9 or a 9 and a half. Um, I wonder, how do we measure our faith? Uh, sometimes we get into uh, the habit, don't we, of comparing and contrasting ourselves with other people. Uh, we can see other people in the student ministry or in our gospel teams or in our church family, uh, and we can find ourselves thinking, oh, I, wish I wish I had their faith. Uh, what is it about their faith that we kind of wish that we had? Uh, and having compared ourselves with them and their faith, how does it then actually go with our own hearts? Do we feel better uh, or not for having kind of like compared our faith with someone else's? Generally, when I do that, I feel a load worse off having done that little bit of a comparison. It's a foolish thing to do, isn't it? Uh, and uh, yet we so often find uh, ourselves doing, it, doing that. I mean, maybe uh, when it comes to measuring our faith, we feel, I've, I don't pray enough. Or I don't read my Bible enough. Or I don't witness enough. Or, uh, you know, I, I don't do whatever, this, that, or the other, enough. And I want to say, well, enough of enoughs. Because that's not Christianity. Uh, you never will do enough. Uh, and Jesus doesn't ask you to do enough. He, you can't. Uh, and uh, the word enough is really only used of Jesus. He's the only one who's done enough. He's done it all uh, for you uh, and for me. And our faith is in response to him and his goodness uh, and what he's done for us. Well, this letter that we've been going through through the autumn is a letter to people who felt very shaky in their faith. Some loved and respected people had left their church, probably leaders, 
And that really unsettled those who were left behind. And John wrote this letter to encourage their hearts. Uh, so look at the very next verse, uh, after verse 12, which is where James ended the reading. Verse 13, I write these things, this is really the, the point of the whole letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You believe, you know. And I'm writing that you may know that you know to give your hearts deep and full assurance. Chapter 4 reassured us about true love. Chapter 5 is reassuring us tonight about true faith. And there are three things about true faith that I want to draw out uh, this evening. And uh, the first thing is this, a picture of true faith. Uh, John, in his letter, paints a portrait. He paints a picture of true faith for us. And true faith has got three characteristics here. There are other characteristics in other parts of the Bible, but there are three that summarize faith here, three characters in that picture of faith. Number one, belief. Number two, love. Number three, obey. And we'll go through each of those one by one. First of all, true faith believes. Uh, that's in verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. It's there in verse 5. Who is that that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And it's there in verse 10 as well. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning himself. So it is about belief or not. In that, or true faith is about believing in Jesus. So it's not measured by how much we've got. True faith is not measured by how well you think you're doing in your prayer life. True faith is not measured by how well you think you're doing in your daily reading of the Bible. True faith, actually, is not about how much you've got. It's however small your faith is, it's who it's in. It's, as it, those three verses just highlighted, it's belief in Jesus Christ. It's belief that he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And holding on and trusting him above all else. Uh, and um, uh, Tim, who's been leading our service, him and Nikki went off uh, and uh, served as uh, mission partners in Greece. Uh, and uh, when we prayed for them, and sent them on their way. We were meeting in a, another building on the other side of town. Uh, one of the things that we gave them as we commissioned and prayed for them was a mustard seed. It just happened to be uh, the, sort of the passage we were preaching that day. Uh, and I don't know if they've still got it somewhere. They've probably lost it. These things are really tiny in there. And Jesus said, if you've got faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains because it's God who moves. Faith is in who we trust. And he is absolutely Almighty, He is the living, living Lord and God. True faith, um, doesn't matter how small it is, is in the Son of God, in the Christ. In the Christ, that is God's saving King who came into the world to rescue us. The Son of God, that is the one who is equal to the Father, the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are different people, the different persons of the Trinity but absolutely equal. The Son of God, with all the power and the majesty of God the Father 
and God the Holy Spirit, the true and mighty God. Your wobbly little faith, it doesn't matter how wobbly it is, it's who it's in, in the Christ, in the Son of God. So that's uh, true faith, it believes. Secondly, true faith loves. When we come to believe in Jesus, we are born again. Born again into God's family. And being born again is the only way of being a genuine Christian. Jesus said, John chapter 3, to a fellow called Nicodemus, you must be born again. Uh, and we join a family, our family, the Father in heaven's family. We find that when we are born again into this family, we love our Father and we love, we love the family we're in. We love our sisters, we love our brothers, we look around the room and we think, all these other folks, they join the, the family the same way we did, by being born again. They are miracles, just like me, and I love them. The Father has set his love on them, and I love them too. I love being in the family with them. Uh, and um, so, yeah, let me read verses 1 and 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So we love the Father, been born again of him. We love our brothers and our sisters. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. It goes on as something else but we know that we are his children and it's demonstrated by our love for God and our love for one another. And uh, these are some of the same themes that we've been looking through, 1 John, as it's unfolded for us throughout the autumn. So yeah, true faith believes, true faith loves. Thirdly, true faith obeys. Uh, verses 3 to 5, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And then verse 5 says, Who is it that has overcome the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Comes full circle again, back to belief again. It's kind of like a, a positive spiral of goodness rather than uh, a vicious circle downwards uh, of obedience of knowing and believing and our love uh, for God flowing out of that and then obeying him and then that leading to us being assured of our belief again in him and go around a circle again. We don't obey God in his ways, in his commands in order to try and get right with him. Not at all. He has put us right with himself through Jesus and his death upon the cross for our sins. And Jesus makes us right with God and as we respond to his love, we do that through our loving obedience. We can't help but want to love and obey him. Uh, and uh, verse 3 talks about his commands. God's commands are not burdensome. We've had this quote a few times, actually, the first bishop of Liverpool back in the day was a guy called J.C. Ryle. And he wrote this, God's commands are no more burdensome to us than wings are to a bird. How does a bird fly? <clears throat> its wings said it's free to be able to do that. And J.C. Riley's saying, actually, seriously, 
When we are born again and we know God is our Father, obeying his commands actually is a way for us to be free. Absolutely free. It talks about, about overcoming and having a victory there in verse 4 and verse 5. As we love him and as we obey his commands, we find that we are walking away and got some little mini victories going on that are visible for us to see in our own lives and for other people to see as well. We can find our hearts overcoming bitterness for another person. We find our hearts having a little mini victory over envy, over coveting somebody, or their, their gifts, their ministry, or you know, how well they've done in the latest exam or whatever it is. We find our, our, ourselves having victories over despising somebody. We find ourselves actually warming to God's love, knowing his love for us and being freed to love other people like bird wings being able to fly and soar in a way that is good for us and good for those who are in the family with us we'll experience those things victories over lust and pride and gossip and envy and lying and laziness true faith believes true faith loves true faith obeys all these things come together all right and remember, it's, it's a picture that he's painting here, as it were. I've called it a picture of faith. Uh, and, um, I, I, you know, as I was thinking about it, I, I've imagined it. I, I'm one of those people I think in pictures. I'm really sorry if I frustrate you. I, I tend not to think in logic. I certainly don't think in numbers. You know, those things, I, I can't, you know. Uh, I, 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 I visualize things and, and, uh, and the like. That's just the way I am. Uh, and, but the thing is, I can't draw. Uh, and I can't do anything like that in proportion. So inside here is a, is a frustrated person. And you know, if you look at the front of my Bible uh, for how actually I prepare my sermons, you'll find actually it's a whole bunch of pictures. That's what I go through. I go through pictures. I think in pictures. And uh, so uh, there may be some other people who think in pictures tonight. And this is especially for you, uh, other people of intelligent logic. You can just have a little bit of a rest for a moment. But I've got some pictures that show how. Believing and loving and obeying come together. Let's see it. We, they're intricately involved. We're going to read verses 1 to 5 again and just see how they are so intricately involved. You, you cannot separate them out. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has also been born of God. See, you just can't, you can't remove the belief from being born again and being born again into the family, a family of love. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God, and you can't leave it at that, and obey his commandments. Because his great commandment is to love him and to love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Can't separate them out. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So uh, here's some illustrations how it comes together. Uh, there's uh, my first little picture there. Uh, and uh, that's uh, the person with a very, a stick, a stick woman. Very, very big head. This is a person who has got it all sussed on the belief system. They know what they believe. They are very sound Bible believers. They know all the right doctrines, but they 
they lack love. Uh, and uh, they lack down-to-earth practical, practical ways of demonstrating the love for the family. And to be honest, if you take a look, they are a little bit hypocritical because they don't really want to obey the Lord God and to act in that way. It's all, it's correct, it's right, but it's, it's, all, it's all there in the mind. Here's the next person. Uh, the big body stick man. This person is all love. And uh, doesn't really thinking that belief matters at all. It's just that you've got to love everybody. That sense of love it just for everybody around it. doesn't matter about obeying God, doing his commands. Just got to love folks. If you, it doesn't matter. If you love them, it's all okay. As long as you don't hurt anybody. Uh, and then uh, here's picture number three. Uh, this person's all about doing it and obeying and the commands and, um, you know, they, 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 they think the right way because that's what you've got to do. Uh, and uh, they love and they get involved with all sorts of active ways of demonstrating Christian kindness in inverted commas. But it's, it's really because they, they're, well, they're trying to earn their way, trying to do enough. This is the ultimate enough person, always active, always doing, going here, there and everywhere, busy, busy, busy thinking about what they believe or actually allowing it to sink into their hearts so that they own it. Here's uh, the portrait of true love. And it's gone to two people. You see, the others are individualistic. And as we've gone through one John, we realize that actually believing and loving and obeying are about being in God's family. We do them together. We never do them individualistically. Belief and belonging to God leads to love. We can't separate it out. And so a uh, portrait of true love is two people or more. It's a family in proportion. Men and women together, believing, loving and obeying, working together with others in God's family. See, uh, true faith is never alone. True faith is always within God's family. Yeah, personally, in proportion to each other, belief and love and, and obedience, but yes, relationally, in partnership with those around us, believing and loving and obeying together with others. Now, today's Advent Sunday, uh, where we begin a season of the year that trains our minds and our hearts to think the right way all year. But it's a season where we specifically think about Jesus and his second coming to get us remembering that all year round. And when Jesus does return, if you're married, you won't be married to that person anymore. There's no marriage of that sort in heaven. When Jesus returns, your blood relatives They kind of like fade away. You know, your work. There's one organization, one institution, which will bridge over from the old earth that we're in now into the new heaven and the new earth. And it's this family. It's God's family. And the call is that we, we love with each other that we are attentive to each other. 
John Bunyan, who wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress, famous story, he, he talks about the church of God being rightfully, this is the, the image that the Bible gives, uh, as the, the bride of Christ. So John, John Bunyan says, we need to treat the church as it is, Christ's queen. I wonder if we think of that, each other in that way. And that's, it's in the family of God, the bride of Christ, the church of God, where we express these wonderful things of belief and love and obedience together. Uh, just uh, the, earlier this, well, this last week, I was talking with a friend, um, and we'd both read a book some, some time ago when it came out, Stop Dating the Church, it was called. And we need to stop doing that. Come, you know, take it easy with the church. Come, go. No, we, we belong with this is, this is Christ's family. So we express that faith, express that love, and come together and encourage each other in obedience to the Lord God, as well. So let's move on to the, the next thing. There we are, a picture of true faith. Secondly, the person who we trust, who our faith is in. Uh, in verses six to ten, we zoom more closely in on Jesus the one whom we trust. What is it that we believe about him? Verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. When John talks about water and blood here, he's probably referring to the beginning of Jesus' ministry and to the end of his ministry here on earth, to his baptism, and then to his death. And now there was an early heresy that was doing the rounds. It may well have infected and affected the church that John wrote to here in 1 John back in the day. Uh, and the heresy the false teachers back then were teaching went like this. See, this may help us see why he's talking about water and blood. The Spirit of Christ, the Christ, the Son of God came on the man who wasn't God, the man, Jesus Christ, when he was baptized. That's when he became the Christ, the Messiah. And because it is beneath the dignity of God that he should suffer, the Spirit of the Christ left Jesus just before his passion, just before his death on the cross. So Jesus was filled with the Spirit of the Christ for his ministry, but he wasn't actually God the heresy doing the rounds and it seems that may well be what John is picking up here see why he says it goes to great lengths uh, to actually say Jesus really is God in verse 6 he says that Jesus was God before his baptism and during his baptism and after his baptism and he was truly God before he died on the cross and he was truly God as he died on the cross. And he was truly God when he rose again from the dead. And this is verified by the words that God the Father spoke at the baptism of Jesus. You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. And it was evidenced and proved without a shadow of a doubt by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Never die again. Yeah, he is. He is the son of God with all the power of God. He's overcome sickness and he's calm the waves and he's healed people he's raised the dead and he's raised to life again never to die himself return back to heaven and one day you'll come we remember that an advent and so together with the holy spirit jesus baptism 
and death testify that Jesus really is the Son of God. That's verses 7 to 9. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Three testimonies are the testimony of God. Uh, in the Bible, uh, back in the Old Testament, throughout the Bible, it was required that there would be two or three witnesses to establish the truth of something. Uh, and uh, John is saying here that the water and the blood and the Spirit are those three witnesses, and together they are sufficient. But there's more. They are the testimony, verse 9, of God. We believe the testimony of men and women, and that's something that John has underlined. It's right there at the beginning of the letter, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, that which we've seen and heard, which we've touched, we testify to you. Uh, and uh, the testimony of John should be enough. But what this is saying is that God himself testifies to the truth. In fact, to dispute the issue that Jesus is the Son of God is actually to take issue with God himself and basically say, God, you're a liar. And God says, when God says, this is my son, I sent him into the world, you're saying, no, you didn't, you're a liar. That's what verse 10 is really meaning. Whoever does not believe God has made God, has, um, has made God basically a liar, made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. So the person we trust is none other than the Son of God himself who came into the world to suffer and to die for all of our sins. It was not beneath the dignity of God that he should suffer. It was his eternal plan. In fact, his baptism pointed forward to his death and his resurrection. In his love, in his great eternal humility, in his eternal servant-heartedness, his absolute eternal character of love and the very essence of his being. God gave himself up to a horrible, cruel, humiliating death. He willingly chose to die for you and to die for me. And how can we not go, well, of course, of course I stake my life on you. I believe in you. I love you. Of course I want to obey you. And I want to obey though you with those who are around me who are born again of you as well. So that is the person we trust. And then thirdly, the pleasure we experience. Now, so what? As well, you know, does just only matter to people who write sermons and preach them? Of course it matters to us all. It matters immensely. It matters immensely and personally to you, which is our verses 11 and 12 end in our section this evening. Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a prophet he was not just an extremely wise teacher. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. The truth about him matters because it's truth that God gives us in him eternal life through the Son of God and what he's done for us. Verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. In and through Jesus, we have life. We have eternal life. It is eternal. That means it goes on forever. It's about 
you know, immeasurable quantity, eternal life. But it is also eternal life. It is actually a really, really good life that begins now. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So as I draw to close, I want to just uh, share by um, it's just drawing a, an illustration from one of my favorite films. It's called The Fiddler on the Roof, and it's a musical. Uh, and one of the great themes throughout that film is life. Uh, and uh, the repeated Hebrew phrase that comes through it, lachayim, to life, to toast. Now you knock back the vodka, having said to, to life. And then, uh, you know, one great part in, this, in the film, they, you know, sing a great big song that goes on and on and on, all about life, and it's about the absolute goodness of God. It's a big rousing song filled with uh, purpose and meaning and hope, and it's all enriched by the, the open-handed generosity and guidance and protection and the blessing of God. That's what it means to have eternal life, to know God now. So now his blessing in your life today, to life in Jesus. True faith believes the things that you know are stunning. What you know of Jesus and what he's done for you is just indescribably brilliant, isn't it? And you kind of think, well, how come I know and the people I live with as a student, they don't know? Well, why is that? But you do know what a privilege it is to know these wonderful things of what God has done for you in Jesus. And you respond in our hearts with that deeply felt to life in Jesus. What a wonderful life it is that we have. True faith loves, oh, to be loved by God in the way that he loves you. You know, he created you. There's a real sense in which that you know, yes, the fall has happened and we're sinful creatures, but there's a still a sense that when, when God looks at you, because he's made you who you are with your genetics, you're not an accident. There's still that sense in which he looks at you and the, the, the echo of Genesis at creation was looking and saying, this is good, this is very good. You're exactly who I intended you to be with your gifts. With your limitations, I love you because I've made you as you are. And yes, you have fallen. And yes, you've rebelled against you. I love you and I've sent my son to die for you so that you can rejoin my family. I love you as the creature I made. I love you as the recreated person I've made, born again. Oh, to life in Jesus. That's what's, uh, where these, uh, these verses take us the confidence, the assurance that we have in our hearts. True faith believes, true faith loves, true faith obeys. The freedom that comes through obeying God. And so to begin overcoming by God's strength and power those horrible, terrible things for which we are forgiven already but still tempt us and nag us and trip us up. I know you find yourself surprised regularly when you think, you know, you're doing all right. Suddenly, you know, you say something, you wish, straight away you wish you hadn't. Oh, all those things that disappoint and destroy and depress and dismay and disgust the Lord and our own hearts. Oh, the freedom to know we're forgiven and the freedom to know that we are born again 
and the freedom to know that we will see victories. The Lord will work change in our hearts and in our lives to life in Jesus. Absolutely wonderful. Let me lead us in a final prayer. And then we're going to sing. Whoever has the Son has life. Lord, this evening, fill us with your Holy Spirit and take your word and just uh, apply it very deep into our imaginations and our hearts. Help us not to forget it or ignore it or not to trust it. Help us to trust you to be absolutely true to receive your love, to be filled with your love, to choose to obey you. Whoever has the Son has life. Thank you that we have life in Jesus. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I want to pray for any this evening. Been here, heard, doesn't yet believe in Jesus so hasn't yet received your love and doesn't yet have life may your spirit work in their hearts too